right. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Tech Talks where normally I would be, uh, well, you know what? I actually am still living life at the intersection of business technology and the human experience. As you can see from the countdown and the fact that it is just me here, I had a very, very last minute change. So my previously scheduled guest is not with me. So I am flying solo on a bit of a uh, last minute pivot. And given the rapid transition and the need to pull together my thoughts very quickly, I thought I would talk about a topic that is very much at the forefront of my mind, something I'm spending a lot of time thinking about, reflecting on, and planning for the future for. And that is, what is the future of L&D? And this isn't designed to be a list of top five things that every L&D professional needs to be working on, although that may come from some of this. Some of it really is more talking about some of the biggest things that I'm seeing happening in not just our industry, but across work as a whole. And deconstructing that a bit to say, what does that actually look like? What is actually going into that? And what are the ties of those to our industry and the possibility of our future moving ahead. And then like anything, rather than just leave people with a state of, okay, that's a lot of big ethereal stuff and maybe it's been translated back to L&D, but at the end of the day, what are some really important things that we can do as I would say talent leaders in our organization? Because the reality is the role we have an opportunity to play right now is far bigger than it's ever been. And there is a unique need for us in every organization if we're willing to take that opportunity. And so I use the term Oppenheimer moment a lot. In many regards, I think we're in a bit of an Oppenheimer moment as talent professionals right now. But I want to start by talking about three of the biggest factors. And I would love to hear from other folks along the way to see some of the things that are affecting them. But as I read kind of the studies that are going on, some of the things happening. I'm in conversations with leaders from across the globe. There seem to be three consistent things that I'm seeing happening in the work world right now that are having a significant impact on business as a whole, ultimately the employee experience, and really where things are going. That's creating a lot of uncertainty. One of them is a conversation, and I will try not to spend too much time on this because, hey, there are no shortage of conversations I've put together on this topic, and I will probably talk about it a lot more over the coming years, and there's no shortage of conversations, but that is the topic of artificial intelligence. This is a big shift that's happening, and what's interesting about watching this is that this has been coming for a long time, but really something happened in 2023 which I think largely is tied to generative AI, but I think there were some other factors that it was the perfect storm where these things came together, that this thing got a bit of a rocket booster strapped onto its back. And it suddenly started exacerbating a lot of the different things that we're seeing. And, and some of them are actually tied to other topics that I'm talking about here. But artificial intelligence, when we think about it as talent leaders in an organization. The people, as I would say, the guardians of our employees is in many regards what I think of when I think of the role we play. It is completely disrupting. And if it hasn't already, it will completely change the way work is getting done. And because of that, it's unearthing a whole lot of things. And the really hard part about dealing with that right now is it's still extremely unclear what that future looks like. 
And so if you're looking for me to give the answers of what does that future look like, I can't give those answers right now because the reality is I don't know that very many organizations and very many functions have really gone and done the hard work of deconstructing work in the organizations and being able to clearly identify what components of this work are unique and distinct for people and what components are unique and distinct for machines and what components need some sort of hybrid in between. And because we're in this flux state, work is really uncomfortable right now for a lot of organizations. Now, in many regards, I tend to be, at least I consider myself on the front end of the change curve. So sometimes I'm looking at things before maybe other organizations have caught up. I know there are a lot of places, even in my own organization and organizations I talk with, where things are still feeling relatively stable. So this isn't designed to be a doomsday, everything's going to be on earth. We'll get through it. But in many organizations and specifically in certain functions, there is massive disruption happening. And that disruption is going to continue to spread. And it's spreading in an area that was often thought to be immune which was the knowledge workspace. Well, there's just really nothing that can touch that because it's so unique and distinct and it's tied to people. And suddenly machines are challenging that assumption. And so that's really uncertain for folks. And this is having a direct impact. So when you say, well, where, where for us, this is having a direct impact on skills. Because as we start to think about what skills does an employee actually need to be effective in their job, We've always said that human skills or power skills or whatever buzzword you want to say, we've always said those are important. And in recent years, the importance of those has started to gain recognition and organizations have started to say, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I agree. There's more of a need for that. But that's just gone through the roof on this and that's only going to continue to grow. And so this question of what hard skills do we really need to develop? So just to unpack an example of this that gets really complicated really quick. So you start thinking about some of the hard skills around software development and coding skills. When you start thinking about this, it would be easy to say, well, the latest transformer engines can code better than people can. So we have no business even teaching people how to code anymore. The need for those hard skills is irrelevant. That's an oversimplification of the situation because of the fact that understanding the foundations of that hard skill are actually still really important, even if machines can code better than they can to be able to make decisions, to be able to diagnose, to deconstruct, to make ethical implications on, is this the right? So there is this weird ambiguity around, can we completely eliminate hard skills? And my, my response to that is, as I think and reflect on the depth of this is, we can't completely abandon hard skills as a whole, but what level of depth do we need to really go and how quickly do we need to be able to pivot on those hard skills? Now, what is coming paramount is the need to really emphasize human skills and understand what those mean. And what I'm seeing through my own exploration in this is many organizations, and I would say even many in our field, still struggle to be able to define what those human skills are. And I'm not talking about big umbrella terms. Oh no, I know communication is a human skill. Yes, right. And then as we start to dig into that, what do we really mean when we say communication? What do we mean when we start splitting that out into digital communication, when we start to mean team dynamic communication? It starts to become 
exponentially more complex. And so as we start to think about that, that is causing a lot of disruption in organizations as they recognize the need to do something with skills because AI is changing the need for skills, work is being changed, but it's still really unclear as to where we should even start. Another big change that I'm seeing that's coming as a result of, I would say, you know, a mix of things is what it really means to be a leader. And I think this ties more to my second point that I'll get to here in a second, but what it means to lead well in an organization is shifting. And I had this conversation the other day about the implications on some other things and this kind of John Wayne, you know, maverick approach to leadership, lone wolf approach is in very many regards being seen as, well, that's actually detrimental to an organization, leaving organizations to go, we need to define, redefine what leadership means. And again, as AI continues to impact and look at, okay, well, if you're leading machines, what does it mean to be a leader? If you're leading machines and people, what does it mean to be a leader? If you're leading just people, what does that look like? And so we need to start thinking about how we're influencing this and this impact that artificial intelligence runs really deep and really close to home for us. I think the other thing that we're saying as we look at how artificial is directly impacting L&D, if you listen to my learning tech talks last week, it is fundamentally changing the way we as talent organizations should be spending our time. So last week's conversation was specifically about the impact it can have on how we're investing our time in content and content production and how it can be a tool that can help accelerate and improve the way we optimize that or the way we improve our operations around that so that we can put our effort in experiential learning. Some of these other bigger problems we just talked about, some of the leadership gaps, actual meaningful skill development and things like that. It's allowing us to do this, but it's changing the way we work which has some deep lying implications on our own operations, our own team identity in the organization, which I'll talk about when I talk about like, what should we do about it. So as we look about artificial and at, look at artificial intelligence as a whole, yes, there's a lot of conversations going on around, well, what do we do with it? What are some of the different things that are coming out? And I don't even think we're beginning to see the surface of this because new use cases for this are coming up every day. So when you think about the amount of disruption that this has on what our future looks like, it's huge. Now, something else that is a bit of a combination of what I'm seeing around um, what we saw over the past few years, but I think artificial intelligence is also having a huge play on this is there are massive changes in expectations from employees on the employee experience. So over these past few years, Many people's work, their way of working, even the way they prioritize work was completely disrupted, which, and as I look at a lot of these things, it's really been, there have been a lot of positive things that have come out of this. At the same time, there's a whole identity crisis. And I wrote about this recently, that there's an existential identity crisis happening for a lot of people as they look at what it meant to me to have my career and to prioritize my career suddenly is being challenged at a level that it has never been challenged before. And now stack on top of that, you have artificial intelligence coming in and saying, 
there is a component of your job that you do that I can now do better than you can. And whether we like it or not, our identities quickly become intermingled with the actual work that we do and the activity that we produce at work. And so when suddenly that starts to be pulled away and stripped out, whether we want it or not, it doesn't really matter. It starts to lead to this identity crisis of what does it really mean to bring value to an organization? What does it really mean for me as an individual to contribute to an organization and its purpose? And where does that fit into the bigger picture of my life as a whole? So when we start to think about this, we have this generational influx. So you stack, here's another factor as we think about the expectations on the employee experience. Adding to the complexity of this, we've got the most diverse workforce in the history, in human history. So we've got a whole lot of different personal opinions. We've got a lot of different perspectives coming in. We've got generations that have viewed work a certain way. That's all being disrupted. We have new generations coming in, looking forward, going, I don't want that to be the work that I have. I want to bring new ideas in, pushing against what was there before. And this is causing all sorts of chaos in an organization. And one of the things that I'm seeing big time on this is people in many regards are now working to live. They're not living to work. And I think we're going to continue to see that trend uptick as people recognize that I want to find meaning and purpose in the work that I do, but ultimately it is not my meaning and purpose. And so as people continue to make that shift, this is why we're seeing things like you know, I think there was a time where people thought the demand for flexible working and things like that would wane and eventually people would go back. And we're still seeing some of these things in organizations where there's still this push to say, well, we need to get back to the way it was. And employees have spoken. That is not something that people are interested in doing. Now, am I saying, now just to be clear, I'm not just talking about the remote work versus not remote work, but I'm when I talk about flexible working as a whole, I'm talking about people saying there are things that are really important to me and my organization and my job are going to have to meet me where I am. I'm no longer living in a state where I will bend completely to whatever the organization is expecting from me. And that looks very different. And I've done, I did a YouTube video specifically on this, which by the way, if you don't listen or follow me on YouTube, there's a ton of content that I create. So if you get value out of learning tech talks, there's a lot of other stuff that I produce that doesn't go on LinkedIn and it also doesn't go on my podcast. So check that out. But I talked about what this flexible working means because for leaders, this is creating a real disruption going back to what it means to be a leader is changing because now people are expecting flexible work, which in some people's mind, that means, well, they expect remote work, which is not when you actually spend time talking to employees for many, that's not the expectation. The, the expectation is not, I either expect to work from home or not. The expectation is there are things that are really important in my life that historically I would have just said, well, those have to give for work that suddenly people now are going, yeah, I'm not willing to make that compromise for work. Some of them are very small. Some of them are specific, but this is challenging what it means to be a leader and how do you work as a leader in an organization and actually operate when you're in this difficult situation between the needs and expectations of your employees and the needs and the expectations of an organization. And we're seeing people's personal priorities 
start to step into the limelight, as well as even from work, there's a greater expectation of purpose. So overall, you've got this artificial intelligence monster that's just really stepping into the main stage and wreaking havoc. On top of it, over the past few years, the, the expectations of employee experience has been continuing to rise. And now that's just been accelerated and it's not going away as I think for a while there were a number of organizations and there's still some that are thinking, ah, eventually people will kind of get back to it and recognize what it is. I, my prediction on that is that's not going anywhere. If anything, that's only going to rise for, as far as I'm concerned, the foreseeable future, most likely my lifetime. I'll probably be long gone before that pendulum starts to swing back. In many regards, I almost think that pendulum is only on the upswing. The third one that is a combination of all of these, but then you add another factor, is the economic instability that we're seeing right now. Uh, having spent a large part of my career in healthcare, also working with a lot of other industries as they're going through, you look at manufacturing, I think about some of the work I've done in energy and some of these other fields. There's a lot of disruption right now around well, what is the future of what we're doing? Is the business model we're even running right now sustainable moving forward? And what do we need to do? What kind of changes do we need to make in order to change our business, change our business model? And so you're seeing some of these large companies make some extremely disruptive things and things that people never predicted, and maybe some predicted, but many didn't predict. You think about big tech and how big tech Everyone thought this was the golden egg that was just going to continue soaring and it completely imploded in on itself. And so we've seen that in tech, but we're going to start seeing that. And I think we're going to continue to see that in other industries that don't recognize the uncertainty ahead and begin to adapt and say, what do we need to do differently? Because the future ahead, because a lot of these employee experience expectations, these are just expectations that are changing of what people expect from the products they purchase the companies they support, the things that matter to them as a whole. And this is not designed to be a political you know, narrative on this, but this is some of the things that we're seeing in the political conversations as things are rising up is people are no longer okay just sitting on the fence on some of these things. Now, there's some good things that are coming with that. There's also some really bad things. But the reality is people are really starting to solidify some of the things that maybe they've just historically been okay with, which is driving a lot of this economic instability for things. So as companies are having to refine their strategies <laughs> at a time where the employees that they need to execute those strategies, innovate their company, come up with the new ideas that are going to help them steer the Titanic away from the iceberg, those employee expectations are radically changing. At the same time, You've got artificial intelligence over here going, yeah, everything you thought you knew about work and innovation and operations and all people are being in disruption. So you can see that there's a whole lot going on. And one of the things that I'm seeing right now is a lot of organizations are being pushed into a state where they're making short-term decisions, not taking into account the long-term consequences. So as I look back, over the past few years and really the past as I reflect on the past six and a half months of 2023, these are three big factors that I think it would be wise. So first of all, what should we do? If you are not 
taking time to be intentional, thinking about some of these things, reflecting on some of these things, taking in perspectives and content on these three things, it'd be a wise move in and of itself because these aren't going away. These things that I just described, artificial intelligence, changes in expectations to the employee experience and economic uncertainty. Those are not going away in the foreseeable future. They have massive implications on us as the guardians of employees, of employees and skills and things like that. So they have massive implications on us. And we are also part of that equation. So there's 21 minutes in on just my recent reflections and pulling these together <laughs> 20 minutes before going live. So I'm sure even my take and the depth and clarity that I would have on some of these. So feel free to ask follow-up questions throughout because even some of these things, I have a lot more thoughts on them. I just have not had time to flesh them out in long form things on that. But that's 21 minutes on kind of where I see some of the biggest factors happening in the world of work today and why we should care about them because they have massive implications on us, which then leaves us because I don't want anybody to walk away from that and go, Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot to take in, especially as you start plumbing the depths of each three of those. So I just scratched the surface on this. There's so much more underneath this that has to be unpacked. Some of which we can't even unpack yet because we haven't even gotten into some of these things yet, but that gives you a state of things. And can I, what I don't want it to do is leave you in a state of analysis paralysis where you go, all right, I'm overwhelmed these things sound massive and outside my spectrum and realm of control. So I'm just going to stick my head in the sand or I'm just going to build a bunker in my backyard and hang in there for 10 years and come out and see what happens on the other side. There are some really practical, tangible things. And I've listed six that I think it's six. I think I came up with six off the top of my head that stood out to me as big ones. And I want to just unpack some of those in a little bit more detail. And again, if you have questions or things like that, you can always reach out or comment in and I'll add clarity to that. But one of them is we more than anything right now, and the reason I wanted to spend time highlighting these big three factors and articulating at least as best as I could quickly, some of the magnitude of this is we need to have a heightened state of the world we're in right now and the implications of that. Because this is a lead vest that everyone you encounter is wearing, whether they're aware they're wearing it or not. So this is something that, this is baggage everyone is carrying as they're showing up to work, as they're going home from work, as they're going about their daily lives. But rather than just say, yeah, everyone else is dealing with it, I would challenge anyone listening or watching this to say, this is affecting you. Like you personally are being directly affected by all three of those things. Parts of your identity are being challenged. Your future is being challenged. The implications of what the future holds and where things are going are all being challenged right now. And that has a psychological impact on you. And you need to take time to process that. Psychologically, there's just, when we run into these things, there's a tendency to want to stuff it down and not think about it. And if we just pack enough activity into our day, we can maybe just get by. And growing up in a funeral home, I saw this happen to people all the time about death. 
Nobody wants to think about it. Nobody wants to accept that it's an inevitability. So if we just keep smashing forward enough, maybe we can just pretend it won't happen. And the worst thing that can happen is it catches you off guard. And so right now you are being faced with this. And one of the best things you can do, my wife's a former flight attendant. And what's the first thing that happens if a plane runs into things and the oxygen mask come down? You put the oxygen mask on yourself. So if you aren't aware of how this is affecting you, if you aren't taking time to process, what does this mean for me? How am I processing the weight that I'm carrying? How am I grounding myself in a future of uncertainty? You are going to be ill-equipped to support others, which in the role we hold in our organization as the guardians of our employees, us being in an unstable state is dangerous, not just for ourselves, but we've got a wide reach to others. So the first thing I would say is the heightened sensitivity that we need to have needs to start in the mirror. And so if you are not taking this into account, if you aren't taking time to process what all these things mean for you, not just your work, not just for your employees, not just for everyone else, but you start there. Once you've gotten through this, think about that inner circle of people. Because again, your effectiveness, one, you need to be in an okay spot. Two, you need to make sure the people in your immediate sphere of influence who are your connective tissue, the ones that enable you and help you to move forward, you need to think about them. And again, which one do you start with? I mean, obviously, right, depending on the day, you may need to flex on that. But make sure you're doing with this with your teams right now. Again, going back to it, it's so easy with all the flurry of activity happening in the world right now to not take the time to sincerely make sure the people around you are doing okay and not just accept, yeah, I'm fine. People aren't fine. And it's okay to talk about that. And we need more of that vulnerability and transparency and intimacy with each other where we can say it's okay not to be okay right now. So we can talk about it. We can work through what the implications of that are and we can do something about it so we can put one foot in front of the other. And so if you're not doing that, if you're a leader of people, if you're a people manager and you are not doing that with your teams, going back to the change in the expectations of what a leader is, this is going to be a critical component of what makes great leaders stand out from the rest. And so make sure you're taking time to get to know your teams if you don't know them well. Check in on them intentionally. Make sure they're okay and find out what you can do to contribute to that. From there, this is when we can then start to say, what can we do for the rest of the org? Because every employee you encounter, every business leader, every frustrating stakeholder you're dealing with who pops off at you because you irritated them with something or they seem to be blowing up about something. It is not 100%, but it is being contributed to by all of these big factors that are happening right now. So have that heightened sensitivity. Make an intentional effort to assume positive intent and be supportive and dig into that and figure out what you can do with that. So I just want to call that one out because I think this is one of the biggest things is recognizing that people aren't okay. And we don't need to deny that and we don't need to ignore it. But that also doesn't mean, okay, well, I guess there's just nothing we can do about it because people aren't okay. People aren't okay all the time and they still move forward. But what one of the most important things we can do is acknowledge that and help people step through that because that's one of the first steps in actually making positive steps forward. Now, going back to what I said earlier around the economic instability, 
all these factors are contributing, and I'm seeing this in conversations I have. I'm seeing this in reports. I'm seeing this all over the place. Going back to what I said before, when people aren't okay, there's a natural tendency to want to fill the void with so much stuff. You can numb yourself to the fact that you're not okay. And so there is going to be, and there already is, this urge and this drive to solution our way out of it. Let's just work our way through this. Let's fill ourselves with activity. You know, AI, great. We can do things so much faster. Think how much more crap we can fill things with so we don't have to deal with the fact that things aren't okay and the future's uncertain. We have a unique opportunity because training is often one of the first people that people reach out to when there's a problem. Hey, we have a problem. Can we get some training on that? Now, anyone who's been in our field for more than a week knows that a lot of times it's not a training issue. I think even sometimes people coming to us know it's not a training issue, but they don't know what else to do about it. And so they come to us going, we need training. The worst thing we can do right now is exacerbate the problem by going, okay, fine. Yeah, let's just do it. It gives me a bunch of activity to numb myself to what's going on. It makes them feel better, even though they may even know deep down, I don't really think this is going to solve anything. But again, going back to the activity bias, but at least something's happening. So when it's not okay, I can at least be like, well, I'm doing everything I can. We are uniquely positioned as the people problem solvers in an organization to help deconstruct and keep people focused on what problem are we trying to solve and what does good look like on the other side and what, what are the people implications of this? We are uniquely positioned to do this. And so as learning leaders, if you have not navigated how to do this really well, this is an area of skill development every single learning leader. And you don't get to skip out on it because, oh, well, I'm an LMS administrator or I'm a training specialist or I'm an instructional. Like my role doesn't involve deconstructing the problem. Everyone's role in our field should be part of deconstructing the problem and helping shepherd everyone on staying laser focused on what the problem is and what the meaningful solutions are that we can do. And this what I'm going back to some of the things I said before, there is a desire for people to want to fill the days with activity, to be able to ignore the challenge and the hardship that they're dealing with right now. So don't think that being focused on people problems and being that person that's constantly challenging and pushing forward on some of these things, don't think that's an easy road ahead. I say this phrase a lot and I mean it when I say I've had my teeth kicked in more than once. And there are plenty of people I'm not popular with because they know when they come to me, I'm not just going to solve their problem by rushing to action. But we need to get really good at this. And this is something that if in your L&D organization, if you're a senior leader in talent or L&D and you're not doing this well, now is the time to invest and make an intentional effort. And if you're not a senior L&D leader, it still doesn't matter. Now is the time to invest and practice building these skills. Because two things, one, people need it right now more than ever. They need guidance and support on this. And that's not a knock on people. Everybody needs this. Even, And that's why we also have to be good with it within our own teams. Because even within our own teams, we're going to have our own tendencies to want to do this. And we need to support each other in going, 
Hey, Hey, can we slow this down? Like you're moving a little too quick. I feel like you're coloring outside the lines and we might just be doing activity for the sake of activity. So we need to be checks and balances even within our own internal organization. So this is not a statement on, Oh yeah, everybody outside L and D is really bad at this, but we're amazing. No, but you can change, focus on what you can change, which is us. And we have an opportunity to do this and we play a critical role in the organization when it comes to these things. The other thing with this is you want to talk about something that is going to uniquely position us differently than the machines at a time when AI has the potential to disrupt everything you ever thought you knew about knowledge work. This is a safe bet. Now, does it mean it will never be disrupted or nothing about it will ever be disrupted? Absolutely not. Is artificial intelligence going to be an extremely powerful tool for people to actually do a better job of analyzing problems and making sure people are staying on track and getting clear on what the right problem is and what the right solution is? Absolutely. It will be augmented by AI, but investing in this as a skill set so that you can then layer on where does AI contribute to that skill set? It's a smart bet. It's a smart bet for yourself. It's a smart bet for your organization. And it's a smart bet as you look at the future state. Not only that, it's a safe bet as you think across industries. That skill set is not something that's unique to whatever industry you're in or whatever function you happen to be operating in right now in your organization. So there's that piece. I'm going to talk a little bit more about skills a little bit later. But another thing that's happening right now is because of this disruption, and the economic uncertainty within organizations, the uncertainty around business models and what the companies are doing and whether they're going to need to change things. Everything's on the table right now. I've been on boards. I've been in groups of senior leaders talking about these things where a lot of organizations are at a state where they are rethinking everything about the way companies are structured, the way they organize work, the way things go. We have a unique opportunity right now to clarify the swim lane we want to be in an organization. So if you are right now the order takers that people come to when they want pretty PowerPoints or something pushed out of the LMS, and that's not what you want to be, there's no better time than today to figure out what that is and how you're going to position that with the organization. And there's no better time where senior leaders may actually go, you know what? We haven't tried that before. And that's a pretty compelling case. If you see opportunities in the organization to go, if we integrate or like streamline some of these disparate functions that you know because you've been there have been dysfunctional and fragmented for a long time, you have a really unique opportunity to step up to the plate and say, here's what I see. Here's some of the other opportunities I see streamlining with this. And here's the role I think our organization can play in driving that forward. Now, does it mean you're always going to get what you want? No. Are you still going to have to deal with the natural politics and land grabbing that happens in any sort of senior level role in an organization? Of course you are. None of those factors are off the table. But the reality is the last few years has positioned us well because organizations have started to have a greater recognition that their employees really matter, that developing their skills is an important business strategy, and that we are a function that plays a large role in doing that. Now, I will be the first to say 
L&D has maybe not delivered on every opportunity that we've had presented to us over the past few years, but we still have been elevated to a point where now is a really fantastic opportunity for us to step up and, and be heard. Does it mean we're going to get our way? No, but this is something that if you're a senior leader, or even if you're just within the organization, you may be seeing things your boss or your boss's bosses may not see because you're more in the weeds and you're seeing some of the fragmentation and the dysfunction in an organization. Now is the time to bring that, but don't just come with the problem. Come with some opportunities to say, hey, I'm seeing some of this dysfunction. I'm seeing some of these fragmented groups that seem to be struggling because of how this is. Is there any way that if we were to do this, if we were to bring this together, that we could integrate these kinds of things, either formally or informally, those opportunities and the ear of leaders right now to say, what if we did this? It's a long play. It's a bet. Maybe hasn't been done before, but we've put some thought, we've put some logic into this and it makes sense. There's a much higher chance that that could happen for you today than probably, at least in my career, than I've ever seen. So I think that's another opportunity for us of things that you can do today on this one. Now, Another one that I think is really important for L&D organizations, this is something that over the years, I feel like everyone says, yeah, we really should do that. <laughs> and then we never really get around to it. And that is to deconstruct our work and our workflows and the operations within the L&D function and say, how does work actually travel through us to really think about ourselves as a product team and say, we're people problem solvers that develop products to solve those people problems. But how do we go from problem, identified problem to solution and measuring effectiveness? What does that actually look like? And I know we've all, anybody who's been in the field long enough could probably get into a heated debate over Addy or Sam or whatever design thinking model you want to follow, convergent, divergent thinking, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, Many of our organizations and many of the leaders I interact with cannot clearly articulate. And even myself, it takes a lot of intentional work and I have to continually lean into it because things are constantly changing. But being able to lean in and go, do I fully understand how work happens? And I'm not just talking at a high level. Yeah, it goes in this team and then it comes out over here and it touches these teams along the way. Do we understand the depth of the different roles in our organization and the contributions that each person makes at a role level and how that works out. Because going back to what I said before of a big factor that's going to be extremely disruptive, you are not going to effectively be able to implement artificial intelligence if you have not deconstructed your workflows and the roles within your organization. If you have not done that, and not done it recently and have some sort of mechanism in place to be continually pulsing this, artificial intelligence will eat your lunch. And you are going to make some catastrophic mistakes. You are going to put eggs in baskets that are going to get flung off a cliff. You are going to miss opportunities that could take you to the moon type of a thing. And so while this is something that usually gets put on the back burner because it's not one of the big sexy priorities that gets... C-suite attention and no CFO is going, you know what one of our strategic L&D priorities is this year is we're deconstructing the way L&D happens. You're not going to get that strategic stakeholder buy-in like you will some of these other things that I've talked about. 
but it's more critical than ever because we're talking about the foundation of the organization that you're running. And if your foundation is in shambles or you don't even know what your foundation is, it's going to be impossible for you to build on top of that into what it could be. And this is really hard work and it's going to take time, which may seem like a foolish play to say, why would I invest in something that's going to take time? It's going to take a lot of hard work. Do you not see the world burning behind me right now? I get it. And what I'm not saying is stick your head down in the sand and do nothing but internal work. What I'm saying is if this is constantly something that you're kicking to the back burner going, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We have more important things to deal with right now. We'll get to it when we get around to it. Stop. This needs to move up the priority order and you need to be intentionally committing some percentage of your organization's time and energy to the deconstruction and reconstruction of your work. And this is, just so you know, this is work that is never done. And so this attention to this, while paramount right now, and catastrophic if you don't do it in the next few years, this needs to become part of your lifeblood because the future that we have ahead of us as technology continues to advance, we're talking artificial intelligence, that's on the main stage now. I know that extended reality technology has taken a bit of a backseat, but I don't think that we are giving it the attention that it should have. And I created a video on the release of the Apple Vision Pro that's on my YouTube channel about this, that the convergence of artificial intelligence and experiential reality, experience, whatever, experience reality, the XR tag, you get what I mean. That convergence of this is going to create possibilities and realities that we can't even imagine today. Now, does that mean you should put all your eggs in that basket right now? No, I've seen plenty of the reports that say every learning leader should be making all their priorities around VR. And I think that came out before the AI thing. I think it was premature and I think it sent people down a path. But what I would not want people to do is think, well, if we can just get through this AI thing, if we can just get through generative AI, first of all, that land, that road is longer than maybe your career here. But on top of it, there are future technological innovations that still are not stopping moving forward that have not quite reached a state of maturity that have hit us with the magnitude that generative AI has. And they're still coming. They're still coming for us. So as we think about being able to deconstruct and reconstruct our work, we have to become more nimble in this, which means we have to have a constant pulse of what that looks like so that we can know, hey, this is happening right now. Where can we quickly adapt and pivot and interject some of these things and modify what those workflow operations are, where we can adapt the roles in our organization and the responsibilities of the people on our team proactively so we don't have our lunch eaten from us. Now, I can also tell you that the future that you may create as you start to deconstruct and reconstruct the L&D vision you have or the talent vision, whatever, I feel like the lines are so blurred, but not everyone's going to like it. And I say that both from our internal folks, our internal L&D people. We're going to struggle with that with our own team. There are going to be people on your teams who are not going to want to change. Some of them you are going to have to slowly bring along for the ride. Some may not make it. Some may not want to get on that boat and that's okay. And we need to be okay with that. But we also need to recognize this may not be popular with the stakeholders around us. 
going back to what I said, I have made myself unpopular with lots of people over the years. And I've had to get comfortable with the fact that some people do not like the approach I take. And that's okay. And we need to be okay with that. Not everyone's going to think you're great. And if your goal is just to be popular, you are not going to succeed in this industry. You're, you're not going to succeed at work in general. But when you look at these big three factors, it's only going to exacerbate the problem. So the second to last one, and then I'll close out on uh, what I what I think will be a uh, whatever. I think the whole thing's positive. Hopefully it has. Hopefully the message this is being received with is how it's intended and being delivered, that this is a bright future. But one of it is, this is a really good time for each of us to understand our skills and our future in L&D. There are a lot of possibilities ahead of us, many of which haven't even been defined yet. And so going back to the deconstructing our work and our operations of L&D or our organizations as a whole, there's an opportunity for us to do that individually. And in many ways, going back to my first point of what we should do, this might be where you need to start if you haven't been doing this already. If you've been on the treadmill of, this is just kind of what I do, it's what I've done, this is my toolkit, I'm comfortable with it. Now is the time to say, I actually probably need to think about this more deeply. Uh, what are the things that you're doing that actually bring you to life? And what are the things that take away life? from you type of a thing and actually figure that out because the diversity of what's ahead of us is so broad that to think that just because you're doing this today or this is what you're known for today means that's what you'll be known for tomorrow is foolish. It's really foolish um, in many regards. And there are lots of possibilities ahead and there's going to be, and this goes back to the AI shift, there is going to be more opportunity for you to do the distinctly human things that bring you to life than there ever will have been before. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's going to get that right and that AI is going to humanize us in every aspect. I was doing a conversation the other day and I said, that's the Oppenheimer moment of AI, in my opinion. We're either going to humanize people with it or we're going to dehumanize people with it. And I'm optimistic in doing everything I can to influence us so that we use it to humanize us but there is a real risk and that's something that you need to be aware of. But the reality is you are going to have opportunities to be distinctly more human and be valued for those distinctly more human capabilities than there ever has been opportunity to do. But you're not going to know what paths you need to take and what decisions you need to make if you haven't taken the time to take that hard look in the mirror and say, what are the things that I need to really understand about my skill set and my future. And what are the skills objectively that I've invested a lot into that ultimately probably aren't going to carry you very far in the future. Maybe they've carried you to here and that's great. But that old, whatever saying that is that what got you here won't get you there. It has never been more true than it is today. And I think that's an important piece of work that everyone needs to do right now. And again, I have a whole thing on skills for L&D that I've done. I've done some other things. I will probably do another one on skills in general because what I'm seeing, and this is one of the unique things, and this is what's gonna disrupt, I think things even more is, as we start getting to a point where human skills are distinctly more important than the hard skills that we've often focused on, this is going to open up new opportunities for people to mobilize and move around 
across functional lines that we previously would have would have never been considered that just would have not been accepted because that now is that going to happen in 2024 no but do you want to wait until that opportunity is there and you haven't thought about it i hope not because the reality is as we start to recognize there are distinct human skills and human abilities that we have that really are adding value there are going to be opportunities for people to jump those lines and that's why i said it earlier in the very beginning what it means to be a great leader is going to change. And what's going to be expected, is it going to be distinctly different? No, but there's going to be opportunity for people who really truly thrive and excel at leading and inspiring people and growing and developing people. There's going to be unique opportunities for people to do that in ways that they never could before. And for people who go, that's not for me. There are going to be unique and incredible ways you're going to be able to exercise your distinct human skills in ways that you never thought possible that can give you career mobility and career la upward, upward mobility that weren't possible before. But again, you're not going to be able to exercise that if you don't take the time to take the hard look in the mirror and assess where you are today and where you want to be, just like we're asking everyone in the organization to do. Ben, I am going to bring your comment up because this is something I spend way too much time thinking about. In fact, my 12-year-old son and I were sitting outside yesterday on the patio talking about this, and he was talking about his experience with school and some of the things he's doing, and he loves picking my brain on where things are going and how technology is affecting things. And every once in a while, we'll get into like, what is the AI you know, future and what are the doomsday possibilities? But one of the things that we started talking about was some of the things that I'm even seeing in how he's growing and developing and the skills he's building um, that are things that I would have never even had to consider as a kid because they just weren't even possibilities. Yet, also looking at some of the things that we could easily dismiss and not recognize how important they are. And one example of this, and then I'll get to my final point, is when we think about writing, okay, I think back to my academic days and I remember I had a, I had a high school teacher named Mr. Hellwig and he had the word hell in his name for a reason because he gave us hell. Um, he was adamant about the way we understood grammar and structure and communication and the ability to articulate ideas and thoughts in words and the importance of all of that. And as I deal with having seven kids, you know, in an age where some might go, oh, there's no point in doing that. Nobody's going to write a paper in the future. That's ridiculous. We have generative AI to write papers for us. But going back to what I said, where are the technical skills still going to be durable? The importance of understanding how to take an idea and convey it in words and articulate that still stands true, even though we're going to apply it in radically different ways. So one simple example of this is, as you look at prompt engineering, if you have not studied prompt engineering for generative AI, the way you engineer prompts for generative AI will vastly distinguish your effectiveness in being able to leverage and use generative AI. And when you think about prompt engineering, it's all about understanding how to architect ideas into words and convey them in ways that are meaningful. So while you may not have to write a paper in the future, you are going to have to know how to articulate and structure a prompt in such a way that it can craft and revise and modify a paper that is then written by generative AI. And again, the skill of 
well, do you know how to sit and do all this? And are your words per minute and typing? Is that as relevant? Maybe not. But if you don't know how to articulate those ideas and thoughts into words, you're going to struggle. And so this is that very strange and bizarre space. The liminal space is the word I, I'm using a lot right now. We are in liminal space. We are at the threshold where we are at the edge of what we knew and we haven't quite stepped in to what it will be. And that is an uncomfortable and really awkward space. My closing thought on this is, this is a lot. This is a whole lot to think about. And as I said, this is me taking 15 minutes before I went live because I had to quick throw this together and shift because of a change in guests. This is only the beginning of some of my thinking on some of these things. And this is a lot. So the last thing that I would leave anybody with is most importantly, remember that life is short. It is short. And I say that growing up in a funeral home and seeing that there are way too many people who invested way too much time, invested way too much energy and cared way too much about things that in the end disappeared like a vapor. And it was a complete and utter waste of time. And control is a mirage. You can look at all these things and you can think about all these things and the tendency can want to be to take your two fists and want to grab on and claw at whatever you can get control of in hopes that maybe you can control the future that's ahead of you. And the reality is you can't. So where does that leave you? And what I would say with this is we're in this unique paradoxical state where it would be unwise for us to sit back with our arms crossed and go, this is just too much. This is just too much to handle. I can't take it. I can't think about it and be overwhelmed by the lead vest that we've been straddled with. That's not going to be terribly productive. But we also need to not try and grip it tightly with the two fists, recognizing that at the end of the day, we're all going to meet the same end. And everything you did, no matter how important and meaningful it is, at some point in human history, it's going to be completely forgotten. And so we can go into this holding things with an open hand, knowing that there is value, there is meaning. And so let's work with purpose, but let's also not get overly obsessed with this or fearful of, well, what if it doesn't go right? Well, things are not going to go right. Some things are going to blow up in your face, but you're going to get through it on the other side and you're going to learn something through that experience. And we're all in this together. That's the thing going back to these three things. I haven't talked to a single person. And I'll just make a universal statement. Everyone is dealing with this at some level. And if we can be more open and honest and vulnerable with one another, we can support each other through this change. And I truly am optimistic that we will be better on the other side. So for those of you who listened to this, thank you. I hope this was <laughs> at least well articulated to the best I could do in 15 minutes of structure. And I hope that this caused you to think and reflect. I hope you'll take actions on some of those things and what you can do as we move forward. And I look forward to doing everything I can on my end to continue using my experiences, the thing as I'm learning along the way, just like everyone else, and hopefully pass that forward to make the journey easier for someone else. So with that, I hope you have a wonderful Tuesday and a wonderful rest of your week, and I will be back next week.